0: Our scripture reading today comes from Luke 2, 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, and as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for Christmas, that your son entered the world as one of us to save us. As we open up your word together, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you illuminate this passage to us? Help us to see you, help us to see your son Jesus clearly in all his glory, to know his nearness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas! Good to see you. This morning we are looking at perhaps the most famous Christmas passage: the angels appearing to the shepherds in the fields. And one of the first things that jumps out to me is all of this detail that Luke gives. This isn't some fairy tale or legend, but Luke is being a precise historian. And a big question we want to ask this morning is why does Luke tell the story this way with these details? He doesn't just say Christmas happened and then move on. Instead, he goes into great depths to tell us how it happened. Uh, my son, Bennett, is currently about two years old, and he is in a stage right now where he is very concerned about how things happen. Um, right now, he's very concerned about who gets him out of the car, who reads to him before bed. Right now, Jackie, is the, uh, my wife, is the only one who can do those two tasks. Um, he's also very into his letters right now. We've got uh, kind of all these letters around our house. He likes to organize into the alphabet and such. Um, And he's learning to spell a few words, but the order of the words we spell is very important. You have to start dog, cat, pig. You can't start with pig. If you try to spell pig, he will scoff at you and tear it down. You have to start with dog. Uh, The other day, I, I brought his water bottle to him, and he was so upset that I was the one To bring it to him instead of mom. So he made me put it back where it was, and then he ordered mom to go grab his water bottle for him. He is very particular right now. He cares so much about how things are done. Well, the Christmas story shows us that in an infinitely more mature way, God is similar to Bennett. He's very concerned about how he does things, perhaps as much as the task itself. And it's actually in the details, in the how of Christmas, that we learn so much about who God is, about what he's like, about what he's done for us. The how teaches us about the who. The scholar Daryl Bach said, The arrival of the incarnated Son of God is a study in contrast between how God did it and how we might have done it. So this morning, as we read through our passage, we will be asking two questions. First, how does Jesus arrive? And then secondly, how do we respond? So we pick up this story in verse 8. Back in verse 7, which we read last night, Jesus was born to Mary. And then Luke immediately takes us out to a nearby field. Look in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So we read in our passage last night, Jesus is born, time to announce it with angels and glory. So let's go to an obscure field with no-name shepherds. In this time, shepherds were nobodies. They were on the lowest rung of society. Blue collar, due to their work, they were considered ceremonially unclean Not the kings, the rulers, the religious elite, but these lowly shepherds. And God is about to orchestrate perhaps the greatest choral performance in the world. A multitude of angels are about to show up and sing. But no tickets were sold. The show wasn't advertised ahead of time. And the audience is this group of unsuspecting shepherds on the night shift. Why? Why would God send the angels here? Why do it this way? Because God doesn't give a savior on the world's terms, in the world's way, but in his own surprising, mysterious way. The good news first came to the social outcasts of Jesus's day. Good news first comes to the lowly The shepherds show us that Jesus is for everyone. So the angel appears, and like every time an angel appears in the Bible, the people are terrified. It was a megaphobia, as the Greek says, a great fear. When the glory of God shows up to a finite, sinful human, the initial response is always fear. And notice what the angel says into that fear verse 10. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Fear not, for behold. Don't be afraid, shepherds. Instead, behold, look, see. To the degree that you see what I am showing you, you will not fear. Fear not, but behold, I have some amazing news for you. There is a, this famous photo, I bet you've probably seen it before, of a man kissing a woman on the streets of New York right after news broke that World War II had ended. Everyone is celebrating, and this photo captures everyone's joy because of this good news. I think we're often tempted to view the Bible as mainly a rule book or a guide on how to be a moral person. But the Bible is actually much more like a newspaper. It brings good news. Something has happened. The angel brings good news of great joy for everyone. And what is this news? It's Christmas. Look at the news with me in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The good news is that a baby is born unto you, for you, for the shepherds, for all people, for you and for me. And notice the, the three titles that the angel uses for this baby. First, the angel says that this baby is the Savior. The rescuer, the one to fix what has been broken. But notice, in order to receive the Savior, you have to first know that you need rescuing. And in this way, the Christmas message is actually somewhat offensive. I remember a few years ago there was a commercial for Peloton bikes that kind of went viral. And in the commercial, on Christmas morning, the wife walks downstairs and finds an exercise bike with a bow on top. And I remember thinking, as kind of everyone at the time thought, like, ooh, not a good move, husband. Why? Because there's implicit criticism in the gift. You need to work out more. Here is a bike for you. Or what if, for Christmas... Someone got for you, as a gift, a book or a guide on anger management. Um, Thank you? Like, Like, what are you saying about me? Right? Christmas is a gift like this. It's difficult to receive because the implication is that you need saving. You are chained by sin, guilt, shame, fear, anxiety, emptiness. Your situation is really, really bad, and you don't have what it takes to save yourself. No matter how hard we try to fix our lives, to make something of ourselves, to earn acceptance, to self-medicate away our problems, to be self-saviors, we always fall short. But good news, says the angel, Christmas says to us that our sin is bad, but it also says that God's grace is really abundant. A Savior is born for you. A Savior who will go to the cross and take upon himself the sins of the world. A Savior who offers total forgiveness to anyone who trusts in him. Not only will he be Savior, but he is also The Christ, which is the Greek word for Messiah. It's not his last name. He's not Mr. Christ. He is Jesus the Christ. I teach eighth grade Bible and I always shock some students when I tell them that. He's not Mr. Christ, not his last name, but a title. The one spoke of, prophesied of in the Old Testament. All of God's people looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, He is a promise fulfiller. All of God's promises will find their yes in Him. He is Savior. He is Christ. And lastly, this baby is the Lord. Now, the the New Testament authors knew what they were doing when they used this word, Lord. It's the Greek word kurios, which is where the word Caesar comes from. And about a hundred years before Jesus was born, a group of Jewish scholars got together and they translated the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, into Greek, the common language of the day. This was called the Septuagint. And when they were translating, they made an important decision. Every time the word Yahweh showed up, God's name revealed in the burning bush the Creator God, His covenant name. Every time it showed up, they translated Yahweh as Kurios, Lord. And what this means is that this baby isn't just a Savior or a sage or a good teacher or a prophet. He is God Himself. In 1961, the Soviet Union sent the first man into space. And while he was in space, he orbited the earth. And at the time, the national religion of the Soviet Union was atheist. And after they completed the mission, they came out and said, we're atheists who don't believe in God. And now we have even more reason to be atheists. We went into space and there was no God there. So really, there must not be a God. Well, C.S. Lewis was alive at the time, and he wrote a letter responding to this. And in the letter, he said the Soviets were trying to relate to God the same way that uh, someone on the first floor of a building would relate to someone on the second floor. They went upstairs, explored, no one was home, and concluded there's no God. But C.S. Lewis said, if there really is a God, then we wouldn't relate to him the way someone on the first floor would relate to someone on the second floor. Rather, we would relate to him the way that Hamlet would relate to Shakespeare. How could Hamlet, a created character in a play, ever know anything about Shakespeare? Well, only if Shakespeare wrote things about Himself into the play, only if the Creator revealed Himself to the created. And God did more than just write things about Himself. He wrote Himself into the play. At Christmas, He became part of His creation out of love in order to redeem it, to bring it back to himself. That's who this baby is. Find this baby. And you found the King of Kings, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. And here's how you'll know that you found him. Verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. What will the sign be? Surely, it'll be big. It'll be all over the news. Maybe a new Netflix special. All over Jerusalem's billboards. No. A baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Becoming a a dad recently, about two years ago when my son Bennett was born, I was initiated into this big conversation about infant sleep. And the new and current research is all about babies sleeping on their backs. And with this perspective comes a emphasis, an emphasis on swaddling. So as a master swaddler, myself now, the swaddling of Jesus takes on some new meaning for me. Luke is the only one who mentions this detail, and he does it twice in just a couple of verses, but it's really not a distinguishing detail. As far as we know, according to commentator Grant Osborne, swaddling was a normal practice of the day. Every newborn would have been swaddled. So why mention it? Well, the purpose of swaddling is to provide protection and security and stability to a frail newborn. Jesus was like any other baby, and his swaddling was a sign of his commonness. God himself embodies the same frailty and helplessness every single baby does at birth. The long-awaited Messiah comes Like this, dependent, weak, vulnerable, fullness of God in helpless babe. Like every other baby, he can't control his limbs, so he needs the security and warmth of a swaddle. He is this normal, this human, a swaddled God. And yet he is not normal. This baby will also be lying in a manger. So the shepherds had three pieces of info to go on. They had Bethlehem, swaddle, and manger. Well, there would have been several swaddled babies in Bethlehem, but only one will be in a manger. Set apart from the before the foundation of the world, here you will find him in a feeding trough. No castle, no palace, no hospital, no house, no crib, from infinite deity to the dirty manger. Why? Why would God come like this? We just saw in our passage last night that God can move nations and rulers as pawns to do whatever he pleases. He could arrive however he would like. So why this? Why the manger? The short answer is because it's who God is. It's what he's like. The how tells us about the who. This previews what Jesus will say later in his life in Matthew 11, that he is gentle and lowly in heart. The word that gets translated lowly, it's used all over the New Testament. It's often translated as humble. Mary uses this word just a few verses ago in chapter one, while she's pregnant with Jesus, she says that God comes for the lowly to exalt those of lowly estate. The point in saying that Jesus is lowly is it means that He is accessible. In Jesus, God came near. We can understand Him, relate to Him. The invisible God becomes graspable, vulnerable. This is not a, a silent, far-away God. For all of His infinite glory and holiness, His supreme uniqueness. No one has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. I think we can tend to think sometimes that Jesus being so exalted and holy almost cringes at reaching out toward us, at relating to us. This is a problem for me, maybe for you too. Uh, Dane Ortland said this, we naturally think of Jesus touching us the way a little boy reaches out to touch a slug for the first time, face screwed up, kind of cautiously extending an arm, giving a yelp of disgust upon contact and instantly withdrawing. But Christmas tells us a different story. This is why we need Christmas, because we learn that the infinitely holy God is matched by his infinite gentleness. It's who he is. It is his heart. He is a God who makes himself low to reach the lowly, to reach the broken, to reach needy sinners like you and me. Can we have enough of him? Can we say enough of him? The angels, they had to praise. They had to worship. Verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Heaven bursts with praise at what God is doing. The good news that God humbly became one of us to fulfill God's promises, to save us, to be God with us. And notice what the good news does. According to the angels, it brings peace, perfect wholeness, restoration to those with whom God is pleased, or another way to translate that, upon those whom God's pleasure rests. Now, initially, I think that sounds a little exclusive, But remember, just a few verses ago, we saw that the good news is for all people, but not everyone experiences it. Many people hear the message, but not all respond. The angels bring this good news of a lowly Savior to these lowly shepherds. This is how God arrives. And the rest of our passage in these last few minutes will answer our second question. How should we respond? Let's look at how the shepherds respond. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So they have a a team meeting and they decide, let's go find this baby. And they booked it to Bethlehem. And there they find this baby lying in the manger and they spread the word. They tell everyone what had happened and all who heard it were amazed. And then we see them again in verse 20 And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I want to notice the stages here. The angel came and spoke to the shepherds and then the shepherds spoke to everyone else. Don't miss the ordinariness of how the word comes to most people. For the vast majority of us, the word comes to us in ordinary ways, the shepherds got an angel, but everyone else just got a shepherd. <laughs> they're not scholars, special, just ordinary shepherds. And they're the messengers. In Scripture, we always see the, the authors of the Bible have these big experiences and revelations, but the rest of us get a book, and it's easy to not pay attention. Luke is telling us the importance of hearing well and how we can hear the message. How well are we really listening? One experience that keeps coming up in my marriage is my ability to hear without really hearing. All of a sudden, some sort of plan or event will come up and I look at Jackie, surprised, what's happening? What's going on? And she asks, why is this surprising you? I've been telling you about this over and over, yesterday even, did you listen? Well, yes, but really no. Did I, did I pay attention and live out the implications of what you told me? No, that I did not do. Don't underestimate your ability to hear without really hearing. And Mary is our model for hearing well. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary listens to both the shepherds and the angel she heard from earlier, and she ponders, she treasures in her heart. That word treasure, it means to keep or preserve closely, to relish, to savor, to fan the flame. She takes it all the way down into her heart until it means everything to her. She soaks in it, she steeps in it. It's not so much a technique as it is an attitude. And it's so easy for us To hear, but not really hear. A lot of people hear, but they don't treasure it. They don't savor it. All throughout the Gospels, we see people hear Jesus. Maybe they even marvel at him, but they don't really hear. They don't respond. They don't follow. They don't surrender and worship. Maybe at some point this December, you have found yourself in a mall or a coffee shop or or a place where Christmas music is playing in the background. It's always kind of shocking for me when all of a sudden a song like Hark the Herald Angels Sing comes on or or, Come All Ye Faithful. And it's like, wow, what gospel truth is ringing out in this normal secular place. But then once once that song ends, then comes... I don't know, Mariah Carey, right? (laughs) And it's tempting to kind of have like a a Grinch-like attitude and think, oh, don't you realize what Christmas is really about? But in a way, that's a lot like the first Christmas. So many people just going about their holiday season while God quietly infiltrates, enters the world on a rescue mission to establish his kingdom of peace. I know it's already Christmas day, but don't let this Christmas season fly by you. The message of Christmas is that God made himself low to save you, to be with you. Jesus is near. He is accessible. Will you trust him? Will you surrender to him? Will you treasure him? Will you ponder him? Will you draw near? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your Son Jesus to be our Savior, our Christ, our Lord, but you did so in a mysterious and amazing way in a feeding trough. Lord, what a beautiful glimpse! of your heart, that you dwell with the lowly, you come to the lowly. Help us, Lord, to realize our true lowliness, our true need for your son to save and to rule our lives. We offer ourselves to you as we come to the table now. Would you nourish us? Um, Would you fill us, Lord? Would you help us to know your presence, your nearness? We love you, Lord. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name, amen.